Father in heaven, we come in Jesus' name. And we once again want to acknowledge that you are our God, faithful, true, almighty, all-powerful, who is accomplishing his great work of redemption in the world. And how grateful we are that we, as your people, are not only recipients of so great a salvation in Christ, but that we can be witnesses of that gospel in our world. So help us, Lord, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Speak to our lives. Speak into our hearts. Renew our minds. Allow the word of truth to penetrate the deepest recesses of our soul and draw us ever, ever close to you. For you are our life. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure that you've heard this phrase in your lifetime, whether you be very young or you be older. Stand up for what you believe. Stand up for what you believe. Never has this clarion call been more necessary for Christians than today. We need to stand firm in our faith in Jesus Christ and in his gospel. We need to stand firm in the whole counsel of God's truth, the Bible. We need to stand firm for Christ's church and the great commission he has called us to go and to make disciples. We need to stand firm for God's institutions of marriage and family and in the civil sphere. We need to stand firm in steadfast prayer, knowing that God hears us and answers our prayers according to his good will. And the reason why we must take such a stand in faith is because there are opposing forces, both seen as well as unseen. They are aggressively and viciously and relentlessly and wickedly warring to destroy God's created order, God's rule, God's institutions, God's gospel in Jesus Christ, and God's church through Christ in our world. This is a universal, spiritual battle that is raging, and we as believers are supernaturally equipped through Christ's victory to not only fight in this battle, but to win. And just as 
the Lord was exhorting Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. He said this to them, to him, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Likewise, the writer of Hebrews quotes this same promise where we read in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 6 through 8, the same promise. I will never desert you. I will never, ever forsake you so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what is both of these promises as they're given to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 and in Hebrews 13 telling us that we must go in God's promise to be with us. He is the I am and he is with us. The Lord goes on in that passage in Joshua in verses 7 and 8 and says this. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all which is written in Moses that I've commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. In other words, for Joshua and for us, we must go in the command of God's word in obedience to what his word tells us to do. And lastly, we see that the Lord says to Joshua in verse 9 this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And to Joshua and to us, we are being told to go with the Lord's authority. We are to go understanding that we go with the almighty power of our God. Jesus makes this very clear to his disciples in the text that we read this morning in Matthew 26, 47 through 56. Because as this militant crowd club comes with clubs and swords to seize Jesus, and he is betrayed by Judas with a kiss, Jesus says to Judas these words, Friend, do what you have come for. And then they laid hands on Jesus, and they seized him. But then we read that one of Jesus' disciples draws his sword, and he cuts off the ear of the slave of the high priest. And Jesus tells that disciple to put his sword away, saying to him, 
in verse 52 and following. Put your sword back in its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. And then he says this, Or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the Scripture be fulfilled, which says that it must happen in this way? Which brings us to our passage here in Ephesians 6, 10 and following. For Paul, once again, reinforces the necessity of us standing firm in the Lord's promise, in the Lord's word, and in the Lord's authority. As he specifies for us who our enemy is and how he orderly describes how God provides us his weapons to equip us to fight this raging spiritual battle for our souls and for the souls of all mankind throughout the world. You know, there was a time in our history where we were involved in two world wars. Some of you remember it vividly. Some of you only knew about it in history books. But in those two world wars, there were places on the globe that were indeed sanctioned or identified as neutral that in that place no one took sides. They were in a position, if you will, of neutrality. In this spiritual conflict that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 6, no place like that exists. There is no neutrality. There is no exit. And as a result, we need to understand what Paul is talking about here and how we are to fight by using God's spiritual defensive armor and his offensive arsenal to stand firm in our faith. And so that we do not become a casualty in this dangerous spiritual warfare. That's why he says here in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And through Christ's triumph over sin and death and Satan on the cross of Calvary and his glorious resurrection and ascension into heaven, we as believers in Christ have been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But we must know, beloved, that apart from Christ... And apart from his 
grace and power. We are powerless to fight in this battle between God's good and Satan's evil. But as we by faith abide in Christ and in his word, we can be spiritually endowed with divine strength for this spiritual battle. That's why Paul says here in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Earlier in this same letter, Paul told us to strip off the old man, to, to, if you will, get rid of the vestiges of the old nature, and to put on the new man, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And it's in this context that Paul is using a similar analogy. For he's commanding us to put on the whole armor of God. It's only by God's armor that we are equipped and protected and defended so that we can defeat our adversaries in this spiritual battle. We must put on the whole armor of God and not just portions of it. And when we do, we are so graced and so empowered by God that we can prevail over the schemes of the devil. One of the things that the devil uses very well in our world today, even among Christians, is our love for this world. He tempts us through the lusts of our flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. He uses them as measures to entice God's people to fall headlong into his devilish schemes. Paul, earlier in chapter 4, verse 14, describes some ways in which this actually works out. These sinister and malicious schemes that are being foisted, if you will, against us by means of false doctrine, fraudulent trickery, and by the craftiness of deceit of his own schemes. And there are, beloved, a plethora of ways in which Satan crafts his battle strategies against God, his church, and his people. For instance, we see in Scripture that he often would mix truth with error as back there in Genesis 3. He will misuse the Scriptures, like in Matthew 4, 6. He will disguise himself as an apostle of Christ or as an angel of light, as in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And he will deceive us into thinking 
that Satan himself does not exist. Acts 20. He will lead people astray with false Christ, as in Matthew 24. And he will defile even sacred assemblies like this one and will try to promise us goodwill from evil. We see that present today in some of the movements that we've spoken about before, by the CRT movement, by the woke movement, and by the sexual revolution that is trying to change everything that God has created in its order. We must know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, as he says here in verse 12. But it's against the rulers. It's against the powers. It's against the world forces of this wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, beloved, since there's no place for neutrality, we as Christians are up against it. And we better know it. Any attempt to fight this battle by human strength or worldly ingenuity is futile. Your struggle, my struggle, is betrayed here as a personal, a fierce, close, hand-to-hand -hand combat, and it is to the death. And our adversaries, they're well-organized. They're well-equipped. They are well-empowered, being energized by evil and demonic forces whose commander-in-chief is none other than Satan himself the prince of the power of the air. They are called in this scripture that we read, rulers, powers, world forces of this wickedness, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And in the Old Testament, we see how this actually plays out in some of the scriptures like in Daniel 10, verses 10 through 21, where we get a sobering yet a sacred glimpse of this spiritual warfare. And of course, the classic one is that of Job. Therefore, verse 13, we need to take up the full armor of God so that we will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, he says, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the Word of God. Paul is giving us here an, an imperative command. He's telling us to clothe ourselves with the full armor of God. Or we will be left vulnerable to powerful, evil enemies. Therefore, we must do it, and without delay and without hesitancy, we must put on the full armor of God so that we are not defenseless in combat. Instead, we are standing firm against our foes. Paul speaks about this in another letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, where he says this to us. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Are you, am I, armed with the armor of God? Paul lists here in these verses actually seven spiritual, military pieces to the armor of God. In verse 14, he calls girding our loins with truth. The waist belt, if you will, of truth should be about our loins. We must know God's truth. We must be living by it. And we must do so so that no false accusations can be raised up against us. We are to be sincere followers of Christ in heart and mind without hypocrisy, always being transformed by the washing of water with the Word through the Spirit. Secondly, we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Yes, we do have an imputed righteousness that came to us through saving faith in Jesus Christ. But now, we are to live by God's grace and faith in the Lord Jesus and obedience that actually allows us to live out that righteousness of God. Third, we are to walk in the gospel of peace. Through faith in Christ and in his gospel, we do have peace with God. Now, we are called to engage the world by spreading this gospel of peace out to others who need to hear it.
forth. Paul tells us that we need the shield of faith in verse 16. The shield that he has in mind extends the coverage from the neck all the way down to the thigh. And it was to extinguish flaming arrows in the time of battle. We need to be people whose faith is founded on God and on his truth so that we can extinguish the missiles of lies and, Lord, Lord knows, even the privation, the persecution, and the affliction that many Christians in other countries are faced with today. Fifth, we need to be wearing the helmet of salvation. The helmet was to protect the head, and it signifies that our minds, our thought life, must be protected in the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and the truth and the victory that we have in him. Our minds need to be transformed. There need to be godly precepts that we're operating from and truth that we can answer to those lies. We need to claim the glorious promises that we have in a living and risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sixth, we need the sword of the Word of God. We need to not only know it, but we need to memorize it. We need to be able to utilize it as an offensive weapon against the schemes of the devil. Because they're not going to go away. The lies, the deceptions, the lust of this world will always be present until the end. And therefore, we need God's truth to combat it. Seventh, we need spiritual prayer support. Even Paul in his ministry, one of the most um, solid examples of Christian faith, asked even the believers in, in Ephesus to pray for him as, as he was an ambassador in chains, that he would have from God, by his grace, boldness to speak as he ought to speak. We need people who are fervent in their prayer life, who are petitioning God and asking for the, for the work of God to happen in the perseverance of his saints. And just as Paul asked for boldness, we need to be praying and asking for boldness to not only speak about, but also to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be always ready to give an account of the hope that is within us. Let me ask you a question. Are you walking this day 
in the strength of the Lord? And are you wearing the full armor of God? If you want and I want to live victoriously in Christ by his grace and power and to have peace with God and to have a peaceful and fruitful Christian home life and, a, and, and, and to have a church that is living in the power and light of God's truth and to have a harmonious, loving relationships with the Christian communities, then you must, and I must, have the strength that comes from the Lord. We must put on the full armor of God. This will not be achieved unless we recognize that we are in a relentless spiritual conflict and struggle against evil in this world. And the course to prevail comes only two ways. Being strong in the Lord and having the full armor of God. When we have those, we can stand firm and be victorious to the glory of our God. This is God's master plan of salvation. Grace be with you all and those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Amen.